And please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 13, and verse 18. You can find this on page 1201 in the Pew Bible, and I'll be reading out of the New King James Version, which is the same that you have there in the Pew. As we've been looking at a number of parables today, two very brief parables that teach a similar truth and one that's profound and important for us to remember. Let's give attention now to God's word. Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 18. This is the word of God. Then he said, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and put in his garden and it grew and became a large tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And there will end the reading of God's word. May God bless his word to us as we think about it together this morning. Well, in the most recent Pew Center survey of religious belief in America, and this was done just this past December, the fastest growing religious group in the United States is the not affiliated group, which now constitutes 29% of American adults. And that's up considerably just even over the last 20 years. In other countries, it's even worse. The Netherlands, interestingly enough, we had a Sunday school class about God's work in the Netherlands just last week. In the Netherlands, the unaffiliated group is now at 40% and seems to be rising. And these trends were studied by some sociologists a few years back using statistical analysis and looking at census data from 1900 to the present. And they concluded that if current trends continue, the church will be completely extinct in the following nine countries, Australia, Austria, Canada, Czech Republic, Finland, Ireland, the Netherlands, New Zealand, and Switzerland. Now, of course, any statistical study like that has a lot of presuppositions built into it and doesn't take into account the power of God and his spirit. But the fact is that a trend that's been going on now for over 100 years, certainly in, what, uh, in Western Europe towards secularization, is, is going on Uh, uh, continuing to go on and to accelerate. And we see the same thing happening in our own country. We're now uh, holding what are historically Christian positions on a whole number of topics uh, can get you completely canceled from our culture, can cause you to lose your job and uh, to be attacked and vilified. And with this uh, happening, it's easy for us to Think about the church as something that is weak, uh, that is insignificant, that is something that if you're a part of it, you might want to keep that a secret, uh, not something that would actually be an advantage to you uh, if you're interacting with people out there in the world. And we might even begin to doubt the power of the Christian faith to be at work in a culture uh, that seems to be heading uh, so far in the wrong direction. Well, Jesus comes to speak to you in this context, and he comes to tell you 
that the kingdom is in fact here now and it is growing now. And we need to learn to look beyond sort of the surface to see what's happening. And if we do that, the Lord tells us that we will be able to serve him with confidence and with patience and with hope. And so that's our main point as we look at this passage, that the kingdom is here now and that we can serve him with confidence and with patience and with hope. And children, if you'd like to draw a picture, again, our children's pages, if you draw a picture for us and then show that to Mrs. Burton, she'll give you a, a reward for doing that. If you want to draw a picture, you can draw a picture of the mustard seed and then what does it grow into? And listen, what is Jesus teaching us through this? So uh, if you want to follow along, there's an outline in the bulletin. You see the first thing we want to notice there is that despite appearances, God's kingdom is here now so that you and I can trust him and entrust ourselves to him with confidence. Uh, If you look at the parables here, this parable of the mustard seed is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. Uh, The parable of the leaven is only found uh, in Matthew and in Luke, and where it's found, they're found together. Uh, Calling these parables may seem like a stretch. They're really uh, just simple analogies. Matthew, in his gospel, calls these two things parables, though. They just use uh, common everyday things in the, uh, in the Jewish life uh, to teach an important truth. One commentator calls the two parables twins, but not identical twins, more like fraternal twins. So they're teaching a similar point uh, and giving us a slightly different image. And here's a great example of how when we're studying parables, we don't try to push every detail of the parable. You can find scholars who want to tell you the significance of the man, of the garden, of the birds, uh, of the leaven, of the woman, of the dough, even the three measures. Right? must be a reference to the Trinity, right? The three measures of, uh, of meal. So uh, we, we try to avoid this allegorical approach to the parables and try to see what is the, what is the main point that Jesus is trying to teach us. And at least part of that is, right, something small and insignificant that doesn't seem to be doing anything uh, becomes something significant. And, uh, and there is an impact that's going on. That, that seems to be the picture that we're getting here in these two images. Now Jesus introduces these parables with a double question. In verse 18, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I comp- compare it? And interestingly enough, the place that you find that language is in, the chap- uh, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18 or verse 25. I put in your outline an example uh, from verse 18. We read 25 as our call to worship this morning. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare to him? So Isaiah asked this same double question, not about the kingdom, but about God himself, And he asked it in the context of a chapter there, Isaiah 40, which predicts the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It predicts the coming of John the Baptist and speaks about God's power over all the nations in the world and all that stands arrayed against God's people and God committing himself to coming and building up his people and to blessing his people with his presence. And so Jesus is is following on that language here to talk about this glorious kingdom of God, his rule over all things for the sake of his people. Now, Jesus' critics are not impressed with his ministry. 
And yet he tells them that his kingdom is here now. And just as a mustard seed, which is just a millimeter in size when it starts, it's proverbial for small. Remember, Jesus says if you have a faith as a mustard seed, it's meant to be representing something that's small. And just like leaven, we can't uh, see how it's working. It's, it's yeast that's in there among the dough. They're small, they're insignificant. It's hard to even see that they're doing anything, but they're actually present in the bread, in the ground, in the mustard plant, and they're at work even when we cannot see them work. And this would have been seemingly a radical claim. Right? It, we look around and we, we don't see much evidence of a glorious kingdom of God that's around us. Can you imagine what the people were thinking in Jesus' day? Right? You know, Jesus comes in total obscurity. There was nothing impressive about him or his followers. And as he lives this life of poverty he's teaching soon he's going to be dead and it looks like his kingdom has come to absolutely nothing and yet the bible tells us don't be deceived by these outward appearances in the prophecy that daniel interprets in daniel chapter 2 verse 44 and these cross references i've put in the outline Remember the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, and he saw this massive statue that represented these coming kingdoms, and then this rock that came out of nowhere, it said, not made with human hands, that, that came and crashed into the statue and destroyed the statue and grew into a giant mountain. And Daniel, interpreting this dream, says, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these other kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And, and he's speaking there about the kingdom of God as manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ as he came to earth. This is what John the Baptist and Jesus were both teaching when they came. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is here now, and it's manifested in God's people on earth and ultimately it'll be manifested in God's people living in a glorious renewed new heavens and new earth now children I know some of you uh, for some of you fall is your favorite season of the year and at one level we could say fall is here right fall is here but we know that fall is not here in all of its fullness we don't see all the trees turning. We don't see the glorious colors like they're going to be. And yet, fall has really begun. Right? The, the nights are cooling off. The humidity's gone. We're starting to see a little bit of color on the trees. There's evidence that fall is here, but fall is going to be upon us in all of its fullness in a few weeks. And this is what Jesus is saying about his kingdom. It's here. It's here. This thing pre predicted and prophesied for ages is here. Begun in a new way in his ministry on the earth. And we see hints of it. It's so easy for us to read our Bibles and to think these are promises for way in the future that really I'll never get to experience till after I'm dead. And certainly when Jesus comes again will be the ultimate fulfillment of these promises. But we need to come to grips with the reality that his kingdom is here and at work now. 
And if we believe that, if we really believe that, that ought to give us greater confidence as we seek to serve him and to be his people in the world. So the kingdom is here and growing now. Secondly, we see that the kingdom is steadily growing into something far greater than you can imagine so that you can serve God with patience. So Jesus is using these analogies to show, yes, that the kingdom is really here. And what's going to happen, right? You have this unexpected growth and this unexpected transformative influence of that kingdom. The mustard seed is small. And yet Jesus says it is going to grow into a large tree and the birds of the air are going to nest in its branches. Now, most commentators think that he's probably referring to black mustard, which is grown in the Middle East. It's a little tiny seed, about a millimeter in size, and it can grow into an herb that can be as many as eight, some places I read maybe 12 feet high. So for an herb, that's pretty significant. I, I couldn't find any information that it's actually like a, becomes a woody tree, but I think Jesus is using this language to get across the idea that it's something very small, hidden in the ground, produces a very large garden plant. And this language that it, it's like a tree in which the birds of the air can nest is actually taken from the Old Testament, also from the book of Daniel. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about a tree and a tree being cut down. And Daniel interprets that as, as follows. And this is also in your outline from Daniel chapter 4. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant and which food was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and in whose branches the birds of heaven had their home. It is you, O king, you have grown and become strong for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. So you see that, that vision of a tree in which the birds are nesting is a picture of a, of a, of a nation, of a kingdom. And Jesus is using that similar language to talk about his kingdom, which is growing into something that will cover the entire earth and involve all peoples on the earth. And in the same way, Jesus, as he uses this example of leaven, so they wouldn't go to the store and buy a bottle of you know, dehydrated yeast or something like that to put in their, in their baking. Right? You would have starter. You would have uh, yeast that's in the dough, and you have to continually keep adding it into new dough to keep it going. Now, some people make friendship bread, right? And you're passing uh, the, the starter dough around. And so that's what it would have been. But the point is, you've got this little bit of dough that's got the active ingredient in it, and you're mixing it in uh, to another, uh, a, a large amount of dough. Actually, some commentators think this could have been 50 pounds of meal. So three measures is a large amount. And working that little bit in, and it transforms the whole thing. And, and so this is the idea. Something that seems small and insignificant is going to grow and become huge or is, is, is also going to become transforming of the rest of it. And this is also a picture of the work of Christ and his kingdom. Now recognize the Jews were looking when Jesus came for a Messiah who would come and overthrow the Roman government. And, and that would have been impressive to them. And here Jesus made absolutely no effort at all to do, he didn't get involved in politics. He was content just to come and, and work in obscurity and to preach to uh, people who were not important people. 
And yet the Bible is telling us that he is going to accomplish with his kingdom something far greater than defeating the Romans or whatever it is that the people had in mind. It's a kingdom that's going to literally rule the entire world. It's going to involve every nation, every type of person. It's going to bring universal peace to the world. It's going to transform people to righteousness, and it's going to completely remove sin. It's going to get rid of death and judgment. There'll be no more hurricanes. There'll be more, no more sickness and illness and death and destruction, and it will create perfectly holy people. And you see how like Jesus' early followers we are. They wanted him to do something now, something that they had in their mind that was on their priority list, and Jesus was doing with his kingdom something so far greater, so far beyond what they could even imagine in that he was going to transform the entire world and, uh, and make his people holy from all over the world. And you know what? That takes time sometimes. Uh, it was a rough summer for uh, grass, and at least in my yard, it was kind of a rough summer for grass. So, so you overseed that in the fall. You put the seed down and you wait, and I, I spray the water on there and I look. And I spray the water and I look, and nothing seems to be happening. Uh, but now it's been a couple weeks, and okay, now I can see there's, a, there's some seedlings coming up. There's a little bit growing. You have to be patient. These things take time. And, and God certainly could do whatever he wants, but he's chosen to work through a process that takes time. And Jesus doesn't tell us how long it's going to be, but when he says, right, it's like the mustard seed, it grows, it's time. Or it's like that little bit of of yeast that gets mixed in, it takes time. And so we have to be people who are patient. We have to recognize the gospel takes time to work. Preaching the gospel is a slow way of getting a following. Uh, if we really wanted to get a fast following, right, you'd, you'd get a very flamboyant person up here instead of me. You'd get a really good band. You'd get a really loud drum set. There's things you can do and you could get a lot more people here quickly. Jesus says it's the slow process of preaching the gospel, loving people, ministering, and serving. And this is so helpful for us. If you can remember that the gospel is here and it's growing the kingdom into something mind-boggling, but it takes time. Wouldn't that help us learn to be more patient with the church, with other people with whom we're trying to minister, with ourselves. I need this word as I'm, I'm going over to our presbytery meeting in a few days. Our presbytery meetings have not been fun for quite some time. But I need to be patient also. We need to pay, be patient with the way God works. He's building his kingdom. He's doing his work. And so I'm going to go to this meeting with every hope that we're going, to, we're going to make a little progress, that we're going to work toward greater unity, greater service together. And this is the, this is the thing you need to remember. His kingdom is becoming something beyond your imagination. And it's really here now. But he's doing it at his own speed. So we need to be patient. We need to be patient. And then finally, we need to see that the power of the future kingdom is at work in the present through Jesus Christ. 
so that we can serve him now with hope. You remember when John the Baptist was put in prison by King Herod? And John sent messengers to Jesus when he was in prison saying, are you really the Messiah or should we look for another? And that's really interesting because John was the one, right, who told everybody that Jesus was the Messiah. John was the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knew who Jesus was. And yet when John saw the way Jesus was operating, John wanted Jesus to call down hellfire and brimstone on the enemies of God. He wanted him to do it now. And that was not what Jesus was doing. And so John questions, is this really, are you really the guy? Is is this really all that's going to happen? His expectations, they weren't being met by Jesus. But notice, as we're tempted to think like John, we despise the day of small things we fail to see the connection between what Jesus is doing in the present and what he is ultimately going to do. Commentator Klein Snodgrass says, like the cross, the mustard seed parable is a challenge to human perception and judgment about smallness and significance. And part of what's going on in these images Jesus gives us here is that the power of the glorious kingdom, that same power is fully at work now. I think this is why Luke places these two little parables right after the healing, a particular healing of a woman in the synagogue. His answer to John, when John says, are you the one or not? Jesus says, tell John what's going on. That those who are ill and lame and blind and deaf are being healed. And the gospel's being preached. That power, that transformative power that's going to bring about this great uh, uh, fulfillment of his kingdom is actually here and at work right now. And so this is what I'm trying to get you to understand is there is an organic unity between that seed and the mustard plant, right? In a sense, that mustard plant is there in the seed, right? It's, It's the same thing. There is an organic unity there. And the yeast that's transforming this whole lump of dough, it's there and it's the same thing that's going to be there. And it's Jesus' power in the world, the power that is going to make his people holy and to transform this world. It's that same power that's at work right now in the world, that there's a connection to these two things. And so in a very real sense, Jesus is saying to you and to me that the future is now. The future is now. The power is at work. And John Calvin writing about these verses, uh, this is sort of a lengthy quote, but I, I think it's helpful. He says, by these parables, Christ encourages his disciples not to be offended and turn back on account of the mean beginnings of the gospel. We see how haughtily profane men despise the gospel and even turn it into ridicule because the ministers of whom it is preached are men of slender reputation and low rank, that's me, 
because it's not instantly received with applause by the whole world and because the few disciples whom it does obtain are, for the most part, men of no weight or consideration and belong to the common people. That's you. This leads weak minds to despair of its success, which they are apt to estimate from the manner of its commencement. On the contrary, the Lord opens his reign with a feeble and despicable commencement for the express purpose that his power may be more fully illustrated by its unexpected progress. That's the idea. Why does he do it this way? It's it's a display of his power at work now and in the future. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father now, working and ruling over all things. And it's all his work now. And he's transforming lives and he's transforming families. And you can see that work that's going on. And that's the same power that's going to completely transform our world when Jesus comes again and brings this work to completion. And this can help you as you interact with unbelievers in your work or in your school or in the community or wherever you are, that you recognize in you is a power that is so glorious and great that is in the process of transforming this world, that you can share that kingdom news with people with great hope, with great hope. It's not because there's anything special about you, but it's because God's power is really at work in the kingdom and at work now. And the problem, of course, is that you and I so often fail to see this reality. We're not confident, we're not patient, we're not hopeful. We don't see what's really going on. We look at the seed, that's just a seed. We don't see what the seed is becoming. We look at the dough, it's just dough. We don't see that it's becoming something I think this can happen as we look at the wreckage in Florida. A lot of us look at the wreckage in Florida and we just see wreckage in Florida. And we're thinking, where are we going to go now on spring break? It's gone, right? But some people look at that and what they see is the community rebuilt better and uh, modernized and stronger than it was before. And that's what Jesus is asking you to see with the eyes of faith. Not what is, but what is in the process of becoming the greatest kingdom, a perfect kingdom of peace and love and righteousness and goodness. It is interesting that these researchers argued that these nine countries will see a complete extinction of Christianity. And yet, others have noted that since 1900, the same time frame, the church in Asia has grown from 22 million to 400 million. The church in Africa has grown from 8 million to, some are saying now, 685 million. And some people think the African church will be over 700 million in the next five to 10 years. The church in Latin America has grown from less than a million to over 600 million right now. You tell me that the seed isn't really growing. The kingdom is here now. 
and it's producing fruit. And it's growing and it's gonna keep growing until it takes over the world. And that same power that's bringing people to faith by the hundreds of millions, even in places where they're persecuted, that's the power that is at work in our lives to help us get through the day. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the way you respond to this parable is by putting your faith in Jesus. I want to be in your kingdom, Jesus. I want to be a part of this great thing that's growing, that's here and now, in which your power is at work. And you put your faith and your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are a servant of the Lord who's trusted in him, then you remember what he says here. And by his grace, serve him with confidence. You're a Christian. You have the name of Christ on you. We don't need to be afraid of anything. To serve him with confidence and to serve him with patience. He's at work. He's doing it on his own time frame. And to serve him with hope. The Lord is fulfilling his good purposes. And praise his name that he's doing it through his people. Jesus' kingdom is here and growing now so you can serve him with confidence, with patience, and with hope. Let's pray and we'll ask the Lord to help us do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these two little parables, very simple, and yet uh, they teach a profound truth, and one that we need to hear. It's so easy for us to look around us and to see uh, that the church is despised by the world, and uh, we can think uh, that the, the church really isn't much and there's not much happening, and yet, Lord, we're reminded that your kingdom is here now, and it is growing now, it's transforming lives now, and that that same power that's going to completely renew our universe, that same power is at work even now. And we pray for that power to be here in our lives as we seek to be better servants and in our congregation as we seek to be more faithful in this community. Lord, thank you for your mercy to us. Help us to serve you, Lord, with confidence, with patience, and with hope, for you are the one who is at work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now we'll sing back to the Lord our praise from Psalm 72, Selection C. So Psalm 72 uses the image of grain growing uh, in the field as a picture of a thriving, growing kingdom. Uh, may waving grain on hilltops thrive like Lebanon, its harvest yield. May people flourish, towns revive, like grasses growing in the field. And uh, this is the, the wonderful promise that our Lord Jesus is bringing in a great harvest. His kingdom is growing now and that we can be a part of it. Let's stand and we'll sing our praise to the Lord. <laughs>